0: John Chapter Eleven. We are finishing up John Eleven today. It's been almost two and a half years uh, as we've been in the Gospel of John together, and we're finishing John eleven really is pretty much like our halfway point. Um, we're picking up at the end of the story when Jesus heals Lazarus and we see what the response to the miracle of Jesus. This really is the climax of his public ministry, which is crazy as right even now, the cross is only a few weeks away in the gospel of John. So we're, we're just a few weeks from the cross and the, the book really slows down in the last couple of weeks. Um, so let's read together verse 47 through 57. And I'm reading out of the NASB today because there's a, there's a word in there that I, I really like. Um, the, the title is expediency and eternity. And that word expediency comes from the NASB. If you don't have that, I think it's on the sheet. You can read along or read along whatever translation you have. But let's look at John 11, verse 47 to 57. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we have gathered today around you and for you. And we wanna hear from you, God. Lord, we confess our need for you our need to hear from you. Our souls need to be restored. Our lives need to be corrected. We, 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 need, we need you today, God. And so there's no other place that we look but to you and to your word to speak to us. I thank you, God, for how your word shows us the person of Jesus. Again, we are not here just to try and fix ourselves. We are here to behold the person of Christ, the one who is sufficient to fix us, to atone for our sins, to shepherd us and lead us. Spirit of God, would you glorify Jesus to us fresh right now as we sit at your feet, as we study your word together. I thank you for how we've seen the the glorious person of Jesus as we've studied John together. Jesus, you are the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. You are full of grace and truth. Lord, we need your grace today and we need your truth today. You are the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the ultimate sacrifice. We cannot sacrifice enough to make ourself right with you. We need you, Christ, your substitutionary death on our behalf on the cross. We need our sins to be taken away and there's nowhere else we look but to Jesus. We thank you that you are the the well that provides the water of life. Oh, how we need you, Holy Spirit, like water flowing out of us, refreshing us. I thank you, Jesus, that we, we have seen you to be the bread of life. You sustain us. You restore and satisfy us. You were broken. Your body was broken like like a loaf of bread. Every time we take communion to remember you, you were broken for us to give us life. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Lord, we live in a really dark world, even a, a dark community. Lord, we all face dark places in our own hearts and lives and we need your light today. Our community needs the light that is Christ. They need hope right now. And I thank you that we find hope in the person of Jesus. You're the good shepherd, Jesus, who have laid down your life. You lead us and you care for us. You know the way, that, that, the, the way to go, Lord. We like sheep. We look at even tomorrow or next week or next year and we don't know what's coming and we don't know which way to go. But you know, Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You're the alpha, the omega. There's nothing unforeseen to you. You are able to lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake and for our own good. Lord, if there's anyone who's being led right now through the valley of the shadow of death, I pray that they would not fear because you, Jesus, are their shepherd. Lord, if anyone has yet to find you as their shepherd, would they find you today? Would you save them that that they would know there is one to be with them, even in the valley of the shadow of death. You're the resurrection in the life. Because of you, Jesus, our souls can find life, can be born again. And we don't need to fear death because we will see you again. As Lazarus saw you again, we will see you again. So we thank you, Lord, for your word and that we get to just behold the person of Jesus. And Lord, as we look at our text this morning, frankly, we get a really bleak picture of humanity in our text. We see the depths of the human heart and the human mind and how we can get so off, how we can hear of or even witness miracles and then turn and rebel against you. So Lord, even as we get this, honest look at humanity, would it remind us of our need for you, Jesus? Would it just press us back to Jesus? And would you encourage us, Lord, and and as we even worship you as we go, would you fill us again afresh, ready-to-be lights wherever you've called us to be? Lord, only you can do this. All of our hope is in you. Would you help us now to study your word, open our eyes and our hearts, to behold wonderful things today. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the end of chapter 11, as we said, is really, it is the, it's the, the, the culmination of the public ministry of Jesus. He just performed his last great miracle before he's going to be crucified. And, and, and we see in our text this, Kind of suspense building. What I love about John is he's a good storyteller. We just saw, like, if, if it was a, if it was a book, if it was a novel, we just saw an incredible feat by the hero. He just defeated death. He just called a man out of the grave. We're, we're gonna, we're losing our minds. And then all of a sudden, what we see now is this opposition. We see the powers that be secretly convening to take his life. It's that point in the story where you're enjoying the movie and all of a sudden you see this thing happen and you start to get nervous. You start to get kind of worried and you're like, I I think I know how it ends, but I'm nervous right now. I sense this suspense. I see powers that be. I see evil at work planning and plotting against the hero. That's That's what we see in these final 10 verses of John chapter 11. John is building suspense, he's setting the stage for the cross. Now, before we dive in, I just wanna take a moment and, and think about that pattern for a moment. That as we seek to follow Jesus, have you ever experienced this? You've se- you're seeking to follow Jesus and obey him. And as you, as you do that, maybe even you make some sacrifices or you deny some sin or you're really bold about your faith, all of a sudden things get worse. Has that ever happened to you? That's actually a pattern that happens throughout the Bible. Jesus just does this amazing miracle and all of a sudden people are plotting his death. We, if you were with us right now in the reading plan, we just read of the story of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. And he's reforming the, the, the city of Jerusalem and he's tearing down the idols and he's instituting the Passover again. And everyone's like, wow, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden the king of Assyria comes and surrounds Jerusalem on the heels of his faithfulness. The Bible's very clear that it was like, as he was faithful, things got worse. That's a pattern throughout scripture. That's a pattern in the life and ministry of Jesus. And that's a pattern for those who want to follow Jesus. If we want a drama-free life, don't follow Jesus. You can, you can, you can set the cross down and go have your drama-free life. The Bible calls it the, the wide, easy way. But if we are to follow Christ, we're following a man who had people plotting his murder. That's who we follow. That's our hero. That's our role model. That's the person we want to be like. And so as we seek to follow Jesus, it will often, that, that, that obedience, that resolve will often make things a little bit complicated. And so we see that happening in the ministry of Jesus. Now, We're going to break up our text in just three headings to follow along. First, we're going to see the plans of man in verses 47 to 50. Then we'll see the providence of God in verses 51 to 54. And then we close with a gospel reminder in verses 55 to 57. So let's look first at the plans of man. Let's let's kind of read through these verses 47 through 50 again together. And let's notice a few things. Verse forty-seven. Therefore, as a response to Christ's miracle, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. Now, I want to point something out here. This this council was re, was often referred to as the Sanhedrin. It was essentially the the supreme court of the Jews in that, in that land. And they were the, the, the highest authorities of the Jews. Under Rome, the, Rome occupied the people of Israel. They allowed this Sanhedrin to kind of rule the internal affairs, if you will. And it was made up of chief priests, which were generally Sadducees, which, which means they were the theological liberals and the Pharisees, which were the theological conservatives. Now, these two groups didn't really get along but they found common ground in opposing Jesus. And so these two groups that normally don't get, to get along well, they come together in opposition to Jesus. And they were saying, verse 47, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, I just want to point something out here. They're not even denying the supernatural work of Jesus. They're not saying he's claiming to do this. He's claiming to do that. They're saying he's raising people from the dead. He is doing incredible miracles. They're acknowledging the legitimacy of his ministry. And yet at the very same time, They are plotting how to stop it. This this right here is an honest look at the human heart. Often we have maybe been tempted to pray or people say, man, if I only see a miracle with my own eyes, then I'll believe. Often skeptics say, if I just see one miracle, then I would believe. We have the Best proof of the the foolishness of that type of thinking here. These men heard and saw the living person of Jesus. And what is their response? Rejection. That's an honest look at the human heart. We've ever since maybe the enlightenment for a few hundred years as society, we generally like to think that people are good. I'm a good person. All people need is the right environment, the right systems, the right education. And then you just let them flourish. But the Bible has a different portrait of humanity. Genesis six tells us the intention of our hearts are always evil continually. How's that for I'm a good person? Jeremiah 17, our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately sick. We can't even trust our own good intentions. Yeah, I didn't mean to do it. We can't even trust our our own hearts. The Bible is honest with the the condition of fallen humanity. These people are watching. They They just heard firsthand or they're hearing reports of a man who came out of the grave and they don't believe it. There's this uh, parable in Luke, I, f- I forget what chapter, maybe 11 of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, they, they both die and Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. And the rich man is pleading with Abraham in this parable. And he says, please let me just go warn my brothers. Let me just go tell them to repent and believe in God because this is miserable in hell. And do you know what he says? He says they have they have Moses and the prophets. He says, if they don't believe what the scriptures say, even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe. That's a picture of the the and the, the human heart, how our unbelief goes all the way down. If we just saw heaven open up and Jesus was to descend, people would still reject him. That's amazing. It's it's hard to believe. And yet here it is in our text. And we see as they reject Jesus, they make some plans. They they resolve themselves. uh, How can we stop Jesus? How can we stop this ministry? And what we see on display here is the values of expediency. The values of putting what is practical and easy before eternity. We see if we just trust in our own wisdom, we are so prone to choose expediency over eternity. And we see four ways. That, that that this is displayed in these men. In these men, you know, John has been so good because we just get to look at Jesus and we just get to enjoy him and look at him and marvel at him. This text is a little bit hard because we're getting a, a picture of humanity right here. We're getting a, a, an honest look in the mirror who we would be or are apart from the grace of God, and so when we see these types of things in the Bible, this is like a what not. This is a you know what not to do type of sermon, right? So, so as we look at these guys and as they make these plans, we're we're gonna see these 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 four warnings, if you will, about about making plans, making decisions in our life. Now, the first. Characteristic of of making of putting expediency over eternity is this. They fear man more than they fear God. They fear man. uh, How prone are we to in our in our imaginations, in our emotions, in our thoughts as we're processing a a decision or an action that that people are looming large in our hearts? What are they going to think? What are they going to do? What's this going to cost me? And we forget that there's this other guy who created the universe that we should be factoring into our decisions and in our heart. The Bible says the fear of man is a trap. And yet how prone are we to make our decisions based on what people think or like, as opposed to, man, what is God? What would please God? And so they say, man, if, if we let Jesus go on, the Romans are gonna come. The, the Romans were those that were driving their decisions here. This other group of people, pleasing people. Paul just put it bluntly. He said, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't please them all. You can't please people and please Christ. Our hearts are designed with these little thrones for, for one person to sit there. And it's either Jesus or it's something else or someone else. We cannot please both man and God. And yet they were fearing people more than they feared God. We see a second characteristic here of their plans. They feared this phantom imaginary future more than they cared about eternity. They were fearing a a possibility. What if this happens even more than they were concerned about eternity? I don't know if you're prone to do this. I'm prone to do this. Um, Our family, as we just dealt with uh, some health issues with our baby, we spent so much energy fearing what if this happens and what if that happens? And if that happens, then that could happen. And what would that mean? And you, you just spend so much mental and emotional energy on something that doesn't even exist. The Bible refers to that as, as worry or anxiety. It just is like a, it's like, it just drains our soul. It drains our energy as we just fear about what if this were to happen. And as we all know, most of our fears didn't even happen. We just wasted our life and hours and energy and conversations for literally nothing. That is the, 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 the trap of worry and anxiety. That's when Jesus says, don't worry about your life. You can't even add an hour to your life. Don't worry. Don't fear this imaginary future more than eternity. Yet these men were fearing this potential devastation more than they were concerned about their own souls. And you know, it's ironic. So they, they decide we need to kill Jesus to protect our future, to protect Jerusalem. Well, as often happens, they, they don't please God and they make a plan that doesn't honor God. And did you know what? In a single generation, the very thing they feared happened anyways. 40 years later, the Romans came in. It's the great war of Jerusalem, the Jewish war, and they utterly devastated the Jewish nation. How does it go when we are, are trying to make plans to, to protect this imaginary future as if that can, as if we are in control of the future? And so these men, they sold their souls for this imaginary future and it happened anyways. Oh, that we would just want to please God and say, and whatever happens, happens. The third characteristic of their expedient plans was they feared losing possessions and prestige over eternal riches and eternal possessions and eternal prestige. They feared the Romans will come, they'll take away our place, our nation. They're referring to the temple and their positions of power in the temple. Here they are protecting their physical possessions. They're allowing their possessions to determine what decisions they are going to make, and then fourth, as they kind of walk down this path of, a, of fearing man and fearing the future and fear of losing possessions they they just fully compromise on god's word, and they decide, you know what we need to kill him we just need to kill him there's nothing else we can do if if the if the if the Romans are going to come and they're going to take everything away and we're going to lose everything, there's really no other option than to murder an innocent man. Um, I don't know if you've ever interacted with someone who's had a great moral failure or if you've heard it or read about it. A very common statement from someone who has had a moral failure is, how did this happen? They're shocked. How Could this happen? And we see, no one just wakes up and says, you know, I want to murder Jesus today. I just want to ruin my life and my family. That's not how it happens. It happens when we put expediency over eternity, when we make these little compromises, when we just are trying to please people and it just kind of balloons or we're just trying to to, to protect our position or our power and we make these little compromises, all of a sudden, it's inevitable. It just happens. And these men find themselves plotting the murder of Jesus. Here we see just an honest, brutal p- picture of our own... This can happen to us. Woe to us if we say, man, those Pharisees, look at those prideful guys doing that stuff, <laughs> right? Oh, we, we should have, we should look in the word of God when we see these things happen and let it be a mirror, invite the spirit of God. Lord, where am I fearing people more than you? Lord, where do I fear? Where, where is my energy just being sucked because I'm fearing this imaginary future? more than thinking of eternity lord where am i afraid of losing position or even a job or or prestige or my reputation more than pleasing you lord where am i just making just outright compromises to your word we see that the tendency to be expedient rather than think of eternity but secondly And incredibly, there's even good news in this text. We see next, the providence of God. The providence of God. Let's look through verses 51 through 54. And actually, let's back up to 50 again for for context. Caiaphas says, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and the whole nation perish. Verse 51. Now he did not say this, on his own initiative. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might gather together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Verse 53, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Now we see this masterpiece of God as, as people plot against Jesus, as the very high priest is proclaiming a plan to murder the son of God, we see this phenomenon called providence. Providence is a, another word of referring to the sovereign working of God in society, in humanity. His sovereignty even over people who aren't saved, even over people who are intentionally pushing up against the plans of God. As this man said, essentially let's kill Jesus, God in his miraculous providence. It's beyond our understanding. God so directs the words that are coming out of his mouth to be a prophecy of the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus that's mind boggling. As a man is in the act of shaking his fists at God, God uses those very shaking fists to, to, to glorify his son. This is something we see from the beginning to the end of scripture, the providential hand of God, even as people intend things for evil we see it in genesis 50 and joseph and his brothers intended evil for him joseph says god intended it for good somehow in the mind of god these two truths are parallel the 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 fallen will of man doing what they want to do even in rebellion to God and the sovereign hand of God and somehow those things work together so that even when men is intending evil God is intending it for good the sin is attributed to that person who willfully sinned but this amazing miracle happens as God intends even evil for his glory we see that in Romans 8, for the sons and daughters of God, all things God makes work together for our good. We see it in Ephesians 1, 11. We've been predestined according to the will of him who works all things according to his will. We also see, I, I never noticed this verse in Psalm six seventy six ten. I wanna read it. In this Psalm, it says, what happens when a man curses God? When a man is 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 verbally assaulting God. What does God do with those curses? I, I never saw this before. And as Caiaphas is, is plotting the death and murder of Jesus, look at Psalm 76, verse 10. It says, for the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remnant of wrath, you will gird yourself. What that Psalm is saying is when a man curses God, God works it for his praise. When a when a man is shaking his fists at God, God takes it and wears it. He girds himself with it and glorifies himself, even as a man is cursing God. Even as Caiaphas is, is plotting through his own mouth and words, the death of Jesus, God orchestrates his words such that he is just prophesying the most glorious act Jesus will ever do. That's providence on display. Charles Spurgeon says, that's like a pillow for our souls to rest on every night when we go to bed. Whatever sin we have committed, whatever sin anyone's committed against us, if we are sons and daughters of God, it will be for our good." That's, it's, it's too much to take in. It's too much to fathom. We see the providential hand of God. We, we see this on a macro scale as leaders such as Caiaphas, rulers, as, as rulers and governors such as Pilate are orchestrating evil things. We see all these evil actions by, by people who, who are important. They bring about the very death of Christ. We also see it on a micro level in our own lives, in our own even mistakes or the things that happen to us. God works all things according to the counsel and purpose of his will. And so we see Jesus in verse 54, walking in peace, knowing that his hour had not yet come, that he is safe in the hands of his father. But we also see Jesus walking wisely, Right here, this is an important, let's read this verse and I want us to notice something here. Verse 54, therefore Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim and there he stayed with the disciples. Now we know Jesus, we've seen him be confronted in the past and he he said, my hour hasn't come. You can't kill me. I'm not afraid of you. He just walks through the crowd. But we also see Jesus being like, Responsible. Which is, which is good for, for some of us who maybe are prone to be a little too risky and say, well, you know, God's sovereign. I'm just gonna go do this. That we see Jesus being responsible here. We see him not flaunting his trust in God. He was, he was responsible. He didn't walk publicly among the Jews. He, he got away, this, this town is about 12 miles from Jerusalem and he, he spent another week or two there with his disciples. So we see Jesus wisely trusting and walking in that provident, care of God. So we've seen the plans of man and how, how we're so prone to do those things, but we see the, the providence of God. And I just want to, one more time, make this personal. I, maybe it's just me. I don't think it is. Do we not often, when we face decisions, worry, what if I'm going to ruin God's plan for my life? What if, if I do, if I don't get this right, God is no longer God. He's no longer able to accomplish his plans and purposes for me. I just want us to remember this truth. That is not true. God works all things, even our sins and our foolishness and the things that have been, uh, wrongly, that have wrongly happened to us. We can rest knowing that God will work and accomplish his plans and his purposes for us. Let us rest there in the providence of God. And then finally, this text closes with a gospel reminder for us. Let's read verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was near and many went to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And I just want to point out, John is setting the stage here for the next chapter in the triumphal entry. And who are these Jews that will praise him when he comes in on a Sunday, but then will yell to crucify him on a Friday. Who who are these people? He's setting the stage. But but I also want us to notice something kind of sad here. The Jews are coming to, to worship this festival of Passover. And it says they come to purify themselves. And what we know of this crowd is though Jesus is right under their nose, they haven't yet seen that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover, that Jesus is the way they are truly purified. Let's just see this sad picture. This is thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people coming into Jerusalem. Religious doing this all the religious stuff all the formalism all the the right things at the right time to purify themselves and yet the meaning of it all is is right under their nose and they and they don't see it yet They're seeking, verse 56, they were seeking for Jesus and they were saying to one another, what do you think, that he will come to the feast at all? And they're wondering if they're gonna see this great miracle worker. And in verse 57, we see the chief priest using those people for their own wicked ends. And as we go on to see this crowd, Jesus is right under their nose and yet they haven't personally trusted in him. They're looking to purify themselves through external works of righteousness, as Paul puts it in Romans. They think they can find purity in this literal Passover lamb that they're coming to sacrifice. And they don't know that the very one who is the fulfillment of the Passover, the very one who is able to actually purify them from their own sin is right under their nose. They're so close. They're looking for Jesus. These amazing symbols of Passover and purification are right there and yet they haven't trusted in him. And I want us to see this as a gospel reminder. First, do you personally look to Jesus as your Passover lamb. That if you were left to your own, like the Passover in Exodus, the angel of death would come and take your life. And only if Christ, the perfect lamb of God was slaughtered and his blood was poured out and it was personally applied over you, there's no other, there's no other hope or escape from the holiness of God than the the person of Jesus as your Passover lamb. Have you looked to him as your only hope in life and death? and is Jesus your hope for purity? Do you look to Jesus to purify yourself? Or are you trying to purify yourself through your own moralism, through your own good deeds, by comparing yourself to other worse people? Where are you looking for purity? When you stumble and give into temptation, where do you go? What do you look for for to purify yourself? Do you just numb it out and try and go somewhere else and don't think about it? Do you try to just go serve someone and feel better about yourself? Or do you look to Jesus, who's the only one who is able to purify you from your sins? Do you look to Jesus? And then secondly, let this be a gospel reminder that there are so many people literally within the sound of my voice, who don't have Christ, who have not found him as their Passover lamb and their purity. would we see these types of people, Jesus is right under their nose. There's Christians right under their nose and they're longing to feel pure and they're longing to do these rituals to, to feel better and whole. And yet the gospel is right under their nose. Oh, that we would be a church that is in love, burdened for the lost and and able to to say there is purity. There is hope from the, the holiness of God. His wrath will pass over you. You need not fear death. You can find purity in the person and work of Jesus. That we would be people who have compassion and are willing to speak the gospel to those in our own lives, homes, neighborhoods, jobs, and communities. So Lord, I just, wanna, I just wanna ask you right now to do that. Lord, if there is anyone here who is yet to look to Christ as their Passover lamb, as their purity, would they know Jesus that you love them and you came and you died, that if they personally would look to you, that they would be forgiven, the wrath of God would be passed over them and that they could have life in Jesus. And Lord, for those who have trusted in you, again, would that never grow old of what Christ has done for us, for me personally? And would it move us and stir us in compassion to share Christ with those who have yet to find hope in him. Lord, I pray for those of us who really need a reminder of your providence today, that no matter what the rest of 2020 brings and what 2021 may bring, and no matter what we are facing, Lord, that you are working it for their good. Lord, would you press us up closer against the sovereign God of the universe that we could trust you, that we could not be anxious about the future, not make decisions based on our own temporary possessions or power or prestige, but that we would act with eternity in mind. Lord, I thank you for this time to gather around Jesus, to remember who you are and what you have done. Spirit of God, I ask that you would move even now as we worship you. I ask, Lord, that if there are any uh, sins in our own life, that right now we would make this opportunity to confess our sin to you and find an advocate in Christ. Lord, would we worship you and trust you if there are areas of anxiety or fear that are governing our decisions and our actions? Would we repent of those things? And would we worship you, God? Spirit of God, would you glorify Jesus in our own hearts and lives? Would he be the biggest, most beautiful person to us? And would the person of Christ be the one that we are making our decisions for and are living our our time and our energy and our efforts? And would it all just be directed to the glorious person of Christ? So come now as we worship you, glorify Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy.